Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about the subject to change or not to change. There's a lot of people in our churches today that their heart is not with us. And the Bible says, as he thinketh in his heart. What do we think in our heart? What is going on in our mind and in our heart and, and what is there? By the way, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. What's in here is going to come out. And so, I want us to think tonight about what we're thinking about and where our thoughts are and where our heart is. Having been raised in a preacher's family and having pastored myself now for almost 54 years, one of my greatest joys through the year has been hanging around other preachers. As a teenager, I grew up in a preacher's home. My dad was a preacher. We, our home, the, the, I had five brothers, so there were six boys. We had about half of the basement that was our bedroom, and the other half was our dining room. We would go downstairs and have our meals and so forth down there. And oftentimes when we had guest speakers back in those days, we didn't put them up in motels, and we kept them in our home. And it was always kind of interesting because one, one of the preachers I remember that stayed in our home was Bill Harvey. Bill Harvey was a singer and had a twin brother who was also a singer in the Nazarene church. And my dad had a revival, and Bill and his brother came and sang in our church. And Bill preached the revival meeting. He stayed in our home. Years later, when I was at pastor school one year up at First Baptist in Hammond, Bill Harvey was working up there. He introduced me to Dr. Jack Hiles by saying, this is Schelling. His dad's a pastor. They have nine kids. I stayed in their home with nine kids and one bathroom. Now, that's how he introduced me to him. <laughs> but I enjoyed those times that we had with preachers and missionaries in our home. That bedroom that the boys had that mom would send us to bed after, after we'd talk for a while. And in the evening, we'd come home from church and sometimes have a snack, and then she'd send us to bed. But we always cracked our bedroom door, and all the boys would be sitting around the door listening to the conversation going out at the table with dad and mom and the, the other pastors. And I learned a lot of things. That was when I first heard, and that was many years ago, about the five missionaries who were killed by the Alka Indians in, in uh, South America along the Amazon. And many things that I heard and learned. Sometimes people think that preachers are from another planet. Uh, and I know a few of them that probably are. But uh, they think that sometimes we're almost inhuman in a sense. Others assume that all they ever do is talk about the Bible. Can I tell you from a personal experience that preachers are real people? They are certainly godly, but they also are human. Pastors and evangelists and missionaries are real people who enjoy life and have a variety of different interests. These conversations sometimes that you hear from other preachers can be downright hilarious at times uh, when they share their experience of working with other people. I remember one missionary stayed in our home. He was from Africa. He told about how they would have these, these uh, fellowships in their church, and they had some of the Africans that would come and help them prepare the food and all. And I remember him telling them about one night when they were having, they had hard-boiled eggs, for the for part of the, what they served that night. 
And he slipped back in the kitchen and saw one of the Africans peeling the eggs. And he would get his fingerprints and all on the eggs. So he'd pop them in his mouth and clean them off and then put them on the plate. <laughs> so I've heard some interesting stories through the years from pastors and from missionaries. However, preachers, I think, share a common burden about God's work and have a keen insight into the state of the church, in the state of our churches in America and around the world. Like the children of Issachar that the Bible talks about in 1 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 32, it says they have an understanding of the times. And we all ought to have an understanding of the times. We ought to know what's going on in our world and where we are going those who have been around for a while since the current trends, or trend, trends that are going on, and, and we can accurately compare them to some of the trends that have gone on in years gone by. I feel honored and blessed to have been raised in a preacher's home and also to have been pastoring for so many years because I've seen the church in 54 years that I've been pastoring change a lot. Tonight I want to talk about that, about to change or not to change. You know, there's some things that ought to change, and there's some things that ought not to change. I'm glad that some things do change. Now, I don't go back this far, but I know we've gone from horseback to the moon and back. Amen? I know that we've gone from candles in churches and oil lamps to electric lights and chandeliers. I heard about a church one time when they were voting on putting chandeliers in the church. And uh, they came down to the wire to vote on it. And one man stood up and he said, I don't know about all this chandelier stuff, but he said, I believe we need some more lights in this church, he said. And sometimes... Things do change and need to change. I can remember preaching in a church that had wooden slat pews. I mean, pews, the slats were about an inch or two inches wide, a little slat and two inches, and those were uncomfortable to sit in. Aren't you glad we have padded pews? I remember when we built the first building over there on the other side, and we had the first Sunday in there, we had metal folding chairs in there. We didn't have money yet to buy the pews, and we were raising money. And I knew if we didn't raise money quickly and get padded pews, I'd get voted out. So we got that change taking place as quickly as we could. We've gone from hot and sweat to air conditioning. I can remember one of the churches when I was a little kid and my dad pastored. We built a new building and didn't have money to put the floor in yet. We had sand in the floor. We didn't have enough money for the concrete yet to pour the floor. I'm glad we got concrete. I'm glad we got carpet on our floors. Amen? Amen. Things do change. Some things do change. Technology changes. We've gone from those... I remember when we used to use those overhead projectors, you know, and you had a screen, you'd put it up there, and now we have projectors like we do up here and screens and so forth. That's technology. And those things change, and they'll keep on changing. We've gone to the Internet with our services. We had COVID, and a lot of churches struggled with getting live stream. We didn't have any problem because we are already doing that. 
and we have live stream, and we have people who can't come to the services, and we have a, we have a family that lives in North Carolina who sends their offering to our church, and, and the first time they sent their, it had a check for tithe, and I sent it back to them. I said, your tithe needs to go to your local church, and they sent back to me and said, we're disabled. We don't have a local church. We can't get out and go to church, and we want to send it to you guys, and, and so they do. But the internet and the live stream, we've gone from records to, to remember those big records you used to have? Some, I can see if some of the older people had a little hole in the middle of it. Years ago, Oral Roberts mailed out a bunch of those big records with holes in it, and the people sent them back and said they couldn't play them. Said, why not? Said, the hole keeps healing over. We can't play them. But we had those big record, rec, uh, records, and I remember when I was a kid, my mom would stack about six or eight of them up on the, on the player, and the arm swung over that, and one of them would drop down and play, and when it was done, the next one would drop, we'd go to bed at nighttime. We had music in our home. And then we went to the eight tracks. Some of these young people don't even know what an eight track is. They think that's eight people on the track running a race. And then we had the VHS and the DVDs and the thumb drives and the di digital and technology changes. I'm glad it does. And I'm thankful that we can change some things as far as technology. But there are some things that ought not to change. Our Bible, this old King James Bible that we use, doesn't change. Our music, our hymns, does not change to the... CCM music and the rock music in churches. I'm amazed that when I was a teenager, my dad used to preach, and sometimes he'd have guest speakers come in who would preach about rock music. And the rock music that dad would preach about and they would preach about back in the, the 60s is a 100 times better than some of the music in churches today. And our music must not change. Our message doesn't change. We still preach in salvation through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We still believe there's a heaven and a hell. Our message is the same. And so as we think about some things that can change, but some things that must not change, I want to share a couple of thoughts with you tonight. First of all, I want you to notice a fearful prediction. A fearful prediction. History shows us that ministries rarely stay true to their founding principles with the same fervor for more than one or two generations. They change. One of the big things that's being pushed in the Southern Baptist Convention in recent years has just been the word change. One of their mottos was change or die. Well, we have to be careful about that. Why do we have to resign ourselves to believe that everything has to change? Why do ministries and people in them, which were once great, after years of decades of having a great impact on their community and even on our country, fade into something insignificant and even into extinction? Why does that have to happen? Well, there's a couple of things that I would mention. First of all, I want you to notice that God's makeup doesn't change. God's makeup, and I don't mean His makeup like you girls put on makeup for you teenagers. What God's made up of, His makeup, His character. The Bible is very emphatically clear that God does not change. It's pretty hard to misunderstand what Malachi 3 and verse 6 says. It says, For I am the Lord, 
I change not. That's pretty hard to misunderstand that, isn't it? Hebrews 13 and verse 8 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, you don't have to know the Greek to understand what that means, do you? And you don't have to have an easier version of the Bible to understand what that means. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the Holy Spirit then goes on to admonish us in the next verse to say, Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrine, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace. Don't be carried about with divers or different and strange doctrines. The psalmist compares the changeless creator to the changing creation. I want you to go back to Psalms with me for a moment. Psalm 102, and look at verse number 25. Psalm 120, 102, and begin in looking with me at verse number 25. The changeless creator compared to a changing creation. In Psalm 102, verse 25, it says, Of old hast thou laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment, as a vesture that shall, shall, that thou shalt change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years have no end. God created this world, and through the years, the, the world, it, there's some changes that have taken place, and it's going to change one day. It's going to be burned up by fire. God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. He said those things are going to be rolled up like a vesture, like a garment, and put away. But he said the Lord doesn't change. He's still the same. Look with me, if you will, to the book of Hebrews chapter number 1. Hebrews chapter 1, and look there, if you will, with me at verse number 10. He says somewhat the same thing there in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 10. Hebrews 1 verse 10, he says, And thou, Lord... In the beginning hast laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. Heaven and earth are going to pass away, but God stays the same. And they all wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. So the God that you and I serve is immutable, he is constant. He is eternal. He does not change. God's makeup doesn't change. Secondly, God's message doesn't change. His message doesn't change. The message that God has commanded us to deliver to the world is unchangeable. You really think that God carefully inspired the Bible, His Word, with the desire that it would change for the generations to come? No, His Word does not change. The Bible itself refutes that sort of thinking and declares itself to be timeless. Three times in Psalm 119, the Holy Spirit says emphatically that very thing. Look at verse number 89, or listen to verse 89, Psalm 119, 89. It says, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Forever. God's word was settled before time ever began. It was already settled in heaven. For eternity it will be settled in heaven. In Psalm, 1, in Psalm 119, verse 152, it says, Concerning thy testimonies, I have known of old that thou hast founded them forever. 
God founded them forever. Verse 168, or verse 160 says, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Isaiah adds to that in Isaiah 40 and verse 8. He says, The grass withereth, and the flower fadeth, but the word of God shall stand forever. The Apostle Peter enlarges on that thought in 1 Peter chapter 1, in verses 23 through 25. Listen to what he says there. 1 Peter chapter 1, and in verse number 23, he's very, God, God's very clear and uh, tells us that his word is forever settled. 1 Peter 1 and verse 23, he says, Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth, how long? Forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth how long? Forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. God's word, his message, does not change. Thirdly, I want you to notice that God's men are changing. God's men are changing. God's makeup does not change. God's message does not change. So why do God's men change? Are we not commanded to be, in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, be ye steadfast, unmovable? God doesn't want us to change. The Bible says that we are to be steadfast. In 2 Timothy 3, in verse 13, it says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. There's no, no doubt that the world and culture around us is changing, but God is not changing. The Bible says that this world's going to change. It's going to get worse and worse. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But what does Paul earnestly exhort the young preacher Timothy to do in light of that change? Listen to what he tells him in 2 Timothy 3 verse 14. He says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned him. He said that evil men and seducers are going to get worse and worse, but you keep doing what you're supposed to do. You stay on track the way you've been taught and what you've, been, uh, what you've learned through the word of God. You stop and think about our society today. Would you say that alcohol is more available today than it was 30 years ago? Absolutely. Would you say that it's more of a problem today than it was even back in 2000? Are more lives lost each year now than back then? Are more young people out partying and ruining their lives because of alcohol now than when your grandparents lived? The answer is very obvious to that. They are. And yet you could hardly find a sermon that years ago men like evangelist Billy Sunday preached when he didn't go off against booze. He preached emphatically against it. The same was true of old Bob Jones Sr. These men probably had more to do with prohibition in our country years ago than anyone else. But today, you seldom hear a preacher stand up and preach about alcohol or preach against Wine and beer and all that goes along with it. They say it's okay to have a social drink. They twist the scriptures to try to prove their point. I have a, I have a, a, a CD in my office with the pastor right over here in Florence of Grace Fellowship Church when he stood 
before his church and said, I want you to know you have a drinking pastor. And he said, it's okay if you do it in moderation. Boy, Billy Sunday would have had a heart attack if he had heard a preacher like that say that. And somehow, Hollywood and movie industry and all of that hasn't gotten better in the last 50 years. The Bible says evil men shall wax worse and worse. What about music? What about the dress? I was talking to somebody this morning. When I graduated from high school, it was in 1968. I know some of you think that's back in the dark ages. That was before some of you were born. I lived in Wheaton, Maryland, which is suburbs of Washington, D.C. My, my graduating class had 800 kids in it. Our high school had, I think, between 3,500 and 4,000 kids in my high school. We had a dress code. The girls had to wear dresses to their knees, and if they were above their knees, they sent them home. On Fridays, we had dress-up day. We wore suit and tie. I wore suit and tie on Fridays for dress-up day in a public school with over 800 kids in my senior class. And now I watch the kids coming out of Dixie over here, and I think, what in the world? In the clothing, and the dress that they wear to go to school. Things have gotten worse and worse. Somehow, it hasn't gotten better. What about the way we worship in our church services? You watch some of the things on TV, and I hope you don't waste your time, but it's gotten worse and worse. And what about the music that's used in churches and the methods of ministry that are practiced? We've come back to a time or come to a time when all we think is we have to entertain. We have to work people up into some type of a emotional spasm in order to get them feel like they've been in church and worship God. Has the attitude about marriage and the family changed in the last 50 years? Do we suddenly need a secular education that's approved by wicked men in order to properly be enlightened by the Word of God? Do words like saved or Baptist or fundamental, do they need to be dropped because they're offensive to our culture in which we live today? Do we need to soften our stand? Do we need to blend in with the beliefs of our world so that we don't offend the enemies of God? You see, the standard for the child of God is not the world. Amen? It's the Bible. And most Christians today have the world as their benchmark how to live. It's sad sometimes when you visit other countries, and I've had the opportunity to do it from time to time, and you see countries that have dress standards that are modest, but they watch the movies and they want to be like America, and so they try to change to be like us. They look at the culture around them and they say, well, I'm not like them. And they try to change to become like them. God doesn't want us to be like them. Amen? As churches and preachers, we are not to compare ourselves to the world. We're to compare ourselves to the Word of God. If we have the world as our standard, we're just going to keep getting farther and farther and farther away from God and from His standards that He has, ha he has set for us. We sometimes brag about our being separated from the world, but after a generation or two of following the world, we've gotten worse than the world was a few years ago. And it's sad. Sometimes the world moves more quickly, and sometimes we move slowly. 
We say we're keeping the distance, and I've said many times, the way it ought to be is here's the Christian and here's the world. There's a difference between us and the world. But what happens is the world gets worse and worse, and we keep our distance, and we still say I'm different from the world, but the world's worse and worse. And if you notice now, we're worse off than the world was back over here. It ought to be for the, here's the child of God, and here's the world, and this is what it ought to be. We stay faithful to the principles of the Word of God, and the distance gets greater and greater and greater. A fearful prediction. Secondly, I want you to notice a fixed position. A fixed position. This problem has been around for a long time. Solomon, of old, gives us some wise counsel. He gave wise counsel to his son in Proverbs chapter 4, if you'll look there with me for a moment. Look at verse number 20, Proverbs chapter 4 and verse number 20. Notice what God says there, Proverbs 4 and verse 20. Solomon is speaking to his son and he says, My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes, keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a froward mouth, and perverse lips put far from thee. Let thine eyes look right on, and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand, nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. That's what the kids were singing about tonight. Our focus will determine our footsteps. I remember when we used to live down off of uh, the Richwood exit, and I would mow the grass at our house down there. I, I would mow it in different directions and kind of keep a design in it. But when I mowed it diagonally, I would start at one corner of the yard and mow across the other corner, and I would have to pick out a fence post over there and keep that as my guide to keep my line straight as I went across the yard. And if I got my eyes off of that fence post, then it wouldn't take long until my lines of mowing would get crooked. The same thing's true of a farmer when he's freshly plowing the field in the spring. He has to have a fixed point, a tree or something that he can keep his eye on and plow towards that point, not take his eye off of it. A bird fl flies by and you get distracted or a dog barks or the neighbor hunks his horn or, or something distracts you. It's so easy for us to get our eye off and get off track. We are to keep our eye, as Paul said, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So as we think about a fixed position, I want you to notice... What happens when we have a glancing away? When we look away, if we're going to stay straight, we have to set our attention on a fixed position, head towards that fixed position. Too many people today are allowing themselves to look at moving positions. Satan's dogs will yelp, and the buzzards of the false doctrine will fly by, and the neighboring churches will sound their tinkling cymbals, but if we keep our eyes on the fixed position of the Word of God, we won't get off track. 
Our goalpost, you might say, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Like that fence post on the other side of the field, God's word is the landmark that we must follow and obey. Many times today, people think they're unaffected by things around them. They're unaffected by what's happening and they become careless in their attention. And the devil knows what will get our attention. The devil knows that our focus and our footsteps will get off track if we look somewhere else just for a moment. You take your eye off of that tree or that post for just a moment and you can get off track. It's interesting what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9 verse 62. He said, no man having put his hand to the plow looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You're plowing or you're mowing and you look back and what happens? Get off track, don't you? Notice it says, looking back. No man looking back is fit for the kingdom. It doesn't say nobody, no man who put his hand to the plow and going back. He just says looking back. All it takes for our furrows and our rows to get crooked is a look. We laugh at a little verse in the Bible in Luke 17 and verse 32. Sometimes as a joke that we, we've memorized it and we hear jokes and stories about it. But it's a powerful truth that's taught to us. And it just has three words. It says, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. What do we remember about Lot? She looked back, didn't she? Didn't say she went back. She just looked back. She didn't have the chance to go back. She simply looked. And the Bible says she was turned into a pillar of salt. You see, that's all the devil wants us to do. He just wants to get us to look. He's not worried right now about getting you to turn around and go the other way. He just wants to get us to look. He knows that if we look, our feet will eventually follow our eyes. I think of people in the Bible that were destroyed by just a look. In Genesis 3 and verse 6, it says, And when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant for the eyes... And a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. It says, when the woman saw. Just a look. In Joshua 7 verses 20 and 21 it says, And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils, a goodly Babylonian garment, and 200 shekels of silver. He said, when I saw, it was just a look. In Judges 14, verses 1 and 2, it says, And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath and the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me. He just saw. He just saw. And in 2 Samuel 11 and verse 2, it speaks of David and it says, It came to pass in an eventide that David arose off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. He just looked. He just saw. Eve and Achan and Samson and David. In each case, it started with a look and it led to a lust and then to a, a leap a big leap away from God. Could I ask you tonight, where is your focus? What are you looking at? What are you reading? 
What are we watching on television? What are we looking at in our, on our computers and our phones? And on and on we can go. Are we spending time with God? Are we reading His Word? Are we looking to Him? Reminds me of an older gentleman and his wife were driving the car one day down the street and a car passed them with a young couple inside and, and the pretty young girl was sitting close to the guy and her head was over on his shoulders and the older lady looked at her husband as they passed by and, and she said, remember when we used to sit that close together? And the old man said, yes, but I haven't moved. Have you moved? Not just in the car, but what are you looking at? That's what we're going to move to. And then secondly, notice a gradual acceptance. There's a glancing away that leads to a gradual acceptance. Words or phrases can be very subliminal, and they affect the way we think. You know, we hear this statement used a lot of times about the fundamental Baptist movement. How many of you have ever heard somebody say that? We've heard that a lot. Unfortunately, the word movement often describes our ranks, doesn't it? I can't think of a place in the Bible where it describes us as a movement. We're not supposed to be moving towards the world. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, he talks about having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and so forth. He talks about standing. The choir sang about it tonight. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Not moving, but standing. The command for stand means, it speaks of an unmovable position. We're to be faithful to the Word of God. Movement can oftentimes be very gradual. It can be undiscerning to the eye. We can't detect it. If you look at a full moon one night at 10 o'clock at night, you can watch that full moon, and as you look at it, it just seems like it's steadfast there. But if you look an hour later, what's happened to it? It's moved, hasn't it? It moves there high in the sky. And we have to be careful because things that we look at sometimes, they look okay, they look steadfast. But the position begins to change. And we have to be careful. Many churches have began with just a slight change in their music. Just a slight change in the... Huh, we could say a slight change in the dress code for the Senate. Huh? Anybody hear that? Slight change. You know, just a slight change to accommodate people, to accommodate someone. And we must be so very, very careful. Slight change in the music, a slight change in the Bible. Now, after many years, as I said earlier, the music in a lot of churches is worse than the rock music that was preached against in the 60s and 70s. Have you ever been channel surfing? We've gone into restaurants. I remember when Jim Delasmith was still living and Jim, he got saved out of the Hells Angels motorcycle gang. And we used to go once in a while over to Steak and Shake after church. And they'd have these oldies playing. And Jim and Vicky knew all the words to them. <laughs> Vicky didn't get saved till she was a teenager. I didn't know the words to them. We didn't even, when I was growing up, we never had a TV in our home all the years that I was growing up. Now, I know some of the kids are going to ask me, well, did they have TV back then? Yes, they had TV back then. 
When Vicki and I got married, we'd be talking about different television programs or movies and so forth, and she'd be talking about, I didn't have a clue what she's talking about. I didn't know. But what we see today is far worse than what was preached against years ago. So there's a gradual acceptance. It's like you go into a restaurant, in a, an expensive restaurant. They give you a menu and you can't read it. You look at it and you say, boy, I wish somebody would turn the lights up. And after a while, you look down, you've been talking a little bit, and you look down and you say, hey, somebody must have heard me. They turned the lights up. I can see it now. No, they didn't change the lights. What happened? You gradually adjusted to the darkness. And we must be careful that we don't do that as a church, that we don't gradually adjust to the darkness around us. Thirdly, there's a grievous affiliation. As an older preacher myself, I've watched some of these changes over the years. I brought a little article that was written by David Cloud, and I'm not a great fan of David. He's written some good things. But this was written in March the 13th of 2014, so it's almost 10 years old. But listen to what he says. Back 10 years ago, this is what he wrote. He said, in the gospel sound, which first appeared in 1971, Anthony Heilbert said, the gospel church has long been a refuge for gays and lesbians, some of whom grew up to be among the greatest singers and musicians. Douglas Harrison, a homosexual who grew up Southern Baptist, said, you can't swing a Dove Award without hitting upon evidence of the long-standing, deep-set presence of queer experience in and its influence on Christian music culture of all levels. In 1998, CCM star Kirk Franklin said that homosexuality is a problem today in gospel music, a major concern, and everybody knows it. James Cleveland, who has been called the king of gospel, was a homosexual who died of AIDS. Marcia Stevens, author of the popular song, For Those Tears I Died, co-founded Children of the Day, one of the first contemporary Christian groups associated with Calvary Chapel. In 1979, Marcia broke her sacred marriage vows, divorced her husband of seven years, by whom she had two children, because she had fallen in love with another woman. Eventually, Marcia married Cindy Stevens Pino, who, who she calls my wife. She started her own label called BALM, B-A-L-M, which stands for Born Again Lesbian Music, and performs between 150 and 200 concerts a year. She has a program called Upbeat, through which she produces a praise and worship album annually with a variety of singers and songwriters. Marcia Stevens' lesbian praise music ministry is recommended by Mark Allen Powell, professor of New Testament at Trinity Lutheran Seminary and the author of an encyclopedia of contemporary Christian music. He states this, the mother of contemporary Christian music continues to capture hearts for Jesus, argue interpretations of Scripture and debate the ethics and origins of homosexuality all you want. No one with sensitivity to things of the Spirit can deny God is using Martha Stevens to bring the love and mercy of Christ to people whom God apparently has not forgotten. Sounds a little bit ridiculous to me. He went on to say, to ignore the teaching of Scripture for a feeling or intuition that God is using a homosexual for His glory is blind mysticism. And there's no question that the Bible condemns homosexuality as a sin in no uncertain terms and demands repentance from it for those who come to Christ. 
Romans 1 condemns man on man and woman on woman sexual relationships as vile affections, against nature, unseemly, and a reprobate mind. Romans 1, 26-28. According to Scripture, God made human sex for marriage and for marriage only. And anything outside of that is fornication and adultery and is subject to God's judgment. From the beginning to the end of the Bible, God-ordained marriage is defined as a holy contract between one man and one woman. Polygamy was practiced even by some of the Old Testament saints, but Jesus taught that that was not God's will. And he referred to man and God's law at the beginning, Matthew 19, 4-6. Therefore, since all sexual activity outside of marriage is sin, and since legitimate marriage is only between a man and a woman, there's absolutely no possibility that God would bless a homosexual relationship. Popular CCM singer Ray Boltz announced his homosexuality in 2008. He divorced his wife to live with a man. Today he tours the country playing at liberal churches and gay pride events that receive him and his gay Christian message. Other homosexual CCM artists are Anthony Williams, Kirk Talley, Clay Aiken, Clay Aiken Jennifer Knapp, Doug Pinnock, and the King's X, plus Amy Ray and and Emily Sellers of Indigo Girls. In June 2013, Sandy Patty performed with the homosexual Turtle Creek Chorale at the, at the Mayerson Symphony Center in Dallas, Texas. In July 2012, the chorale attended the, chorale attended the Gay and Lesbian Association of Choruses in Denver. The reason for all of this is not difficult to discern. Typically, CCM musicians have been accepted as Christians upon the flimsiest testimony of faith and have not been properly taught and disciplined. They have fed their spiritual lives with a constant diet of sensual music and have sought after emotional highs and signs and wonders instead of living by faith. They have played with the world, which is more dangerous than any poisonous snake. Instead of living separated lives, they have sown to the wind and are now reaping the whirlwind. Interesting. That was written 10 years ago. Have things gotten any better in the last 10 years? Absolutely not. So there's a grievous affliction. We've seen the changes. Men in, in ministry that I have known, I've known where they were when they started out, have changed. They're not there now. If you study Baptist history and church history and the history of revivals, you'll have to agree definitely have changed. Unfortunately, the testimonies of many great ministries have also changed. As I said, men that I went to college with, thought they were rock solid, have changed. Even my alma mater, the college that I graduated from, Tennessee Temple University, has changed. Our motto when I was in college was distinctively Christian. Not too long before they closed their doors, they had a Christian rock concert there, and some of the former students came back and marched outside of the concert with signs that said, Tennessee Temple, no longer distinctively Christian. Not only they're no longer distinctively Christian, they're no longer in existence. We used to take our, our family to family camp, and we used to take our teens to Northland Baptist or College in, in, uh, up in um, Wisconsin. And Northland did the same thing. Northland changed their name to Northland International University. And they went in a totally different direction than what they were founded to be. And now it too has closed its doors and is no longer in existence. 
It's amazing how things have changed. So we've seen a fearful prediction. We've seen a fixed position. Thirdly, I want you to notice a focused priority. A focused priority. Whether or not you will be standing for truth a generation from now will be determined by what you do with the Bible. Amen. What you do with God's Word. It all boils down to where we started tonight, how you think, what you think. In Scripture, the Bible must control our thinking or we will stray. If we're going to be true to the Lord, we have to come back to the Word of God. What you do with truth will also determine what you do with error. Paul reminds us in 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy 3.16, he says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, throughly furnished unto all good works. First of all, notice that a truth that stands the test. A truth that stands the test. You see, it's God's Word that He says there in 2 Timothy 3.16 that is profitable for doctrine. In other words, it's profitable. Doctrine is what is right, and we come to the truth of God's Word to know what is right. He says it's profitable for reproof. That's what is wrong. It's profitable for correction. That's how to get right. It's profitable for instruction in righteousness. That tells me how to stay right. You see... I don't want to be wrong, amen? I want to be right. If I'm wrong, I want to know how to get right. I want to know how to get back on track where I ought to be. And if I'm right, I want to know how to stay right. For that to happen, I have to stay close to the Bible. And the Bible must affect my thinking exclusively. Remember what the children of Issachar said back in the Old Testament in 1 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 32? The Bible says that they had an understanding of the times. And it adds in the next phrase to know what Israel ought to do. Do we have an understanding of the times? Do we know what we ought to do as Christians? Do we know what, how we ought to live? Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, he said, Study to sow thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If I want to know what's true and what's right, I've got to get back to the word of God. Amen? Amen. Study it to show thyself approved. So there's a truth that stands the test, and then there's also a thinking that stands the temptation. A thinking that stands the temptation is the word of God, the light and the lamp for your feet. David said in Psalms, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. There are many distractions that will take our direction away from the truth and away from the word of God very quickly. God is not looking for blenders. God is looking for defenders of His inspired, infallible word of God. He's looking for those who will defend it. To do that... We're going to have to think differently. We're going to have to think properly. And we don't have to change. If we succumb to the thought that nothing lasts and that every ministry is altered with time and that no one believes what their forefathers did, then we are doomed to failure. 
If we're looking for, in our life, for life and ministry that is called a success by God at the judgment seat of Christ, then we've got to do what Joshua 1.8 says. The Lord said to Joshua, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. If we think that everything has to compromise at some point in time, then we better change our thinking. Amen? God doesn't change. The Bible doesn't change. And there's no reason for us to change either. And so we've seen tonight a fearful prediction. God's makeup doesn't change. God's message doesn't change. But unfortunately, men are changing. We've seen a fixed position. There's a glancing away from the fixed goalpost of the Lord. There's a gradual acceptance of what goes on around us. A grievous affiliation. We soon become affiliated with the world around us. We've got to keep our eyes on that fence post. Keep our eyes on that tree as we're running the race, looking unto Jesus. He's the one that we fix our eyes on. And then a focus priority, a truth that stands the test. God's Word will stand the test of time. A thinking that stands the temptation. We've got to get our thinking right by thinking on the Word of God and the things of God. And that's why we started out with our verse back in Proverbs chapter 7 that talks about our thinking, where we are in our thinking. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse number 7 that David read for us. For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. The end of it, it says, but his heart is not with him or with thee. Eat, drink, and be merry, saith he, but his heart is not with thee. Is your heart with the Lord tonight? What are you thinking about? What are you focusing on? Are you thinking about the Word of God? Or are you thinking about what show you're going to miss if you don't get home from church in time tonight? Are you thinking about the things that the world would have you to think about? Isn't it amazing how so many TV programs have to bring in alcohol, have to bring in sexuality, immorality, all of it. And if we aren't careful, we began to think the way the world thinks. God says, keep your eyes focused on me. Think my way. Keep yourself on track. We don't have to change. Amen? Amen. And God doesn't want us to. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Would you help us to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Help us to keep our eyes on Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith. May we not let the things of the world determine our standards, determine our way of life. But may we fix our eyes on the Word of God and let Your Word be profitable to us for doctrine, reproof, instruction, correction. You said that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished, completely furnished unto all good works. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.